Good to be with you this morning. As Randy mentioned too, I came back from some vacation a week ago and then realized that I had some deadlines approaching for some stuff with work and school and other kinds of things and then getting ready for the sermon. So as soon as I got back from vacation, it was like, time to get to work. Let's do this. Let's go. Um, we're going to continue on in our Joshua series. And what we're going to talk about today is a couple of key things that are in Joshua, really like major themes of land and inheritance and how that involves um, Israel's longing for home and then what that means for us. But what I'd like to do first is it's always helpful for me to, in, um, in some ways, get on the same page with you all. Uh, and so I want to show this song up here on the slide. Um, um, Andre, if you could put that up. <clears throat> it's kind of small. I, hopefully you can see that. We should have made it a little bit bigger. But who recognizes that? Okay. Whoops. Magically disappeared. He's making it bigger. Awesome. Um, okay, there we go. This land is your land. Raise your hand if you remember singing this in elementary school, right? Okay, good. Oh, I, I, I even saw some kids. Good. I'm, I'm glad they're still singing that. Um, <clears throat> so, this land is your land. This is a song written by a folk singer. Um, his name is Woody Guthrie. In 1940, actually. I thought this was more of a 60s, 70s song. 1940. He wrote this song. And so, this is the chorus. It says, um, you know, this land is your land. This land is my land, right? Uh, from California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. And as I thought about this sermon today, I couldn't get this song out of my mind. And there's actually, I, I have a few observations I just want to share with you about this song that sort of relate to it, right? So first of all, I'm not going to go political today on this, right? There's plenty to talk about when it comes to land. <laughs> <laughs> here in America and in this nation and how we feel about it and the history behind it. And even with this song, in fact, Guthrie actually wrote this song as a reaction to God Bless America. Um, you can you, you know, I'll just find it on Wikipedia. But, um, <clears throat> but that's the first thing is I'm not going to go political today because I think there's some core things theologically that we're going to understand about land and inheritance. But, but my second observation is actually a question. Look at how Guthrie talks about geography here and the, and the geography he gives from, Cal, from the California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream water. So he starts with the bottom west coast, makes his way through the Midwest up to the east coast with New York Island, and then he gets back down to California and works his way down to the Gulf Stream waters. So here's my question. Where is the Pacific Northwest in your song, buddy? Like... What's going on here? You seem to have a bias towards California, you know? Redwood Forest, California, New York Island. I mean, there's a whole... Dave's raising his hand. Talk to me afterwards. I'd love to hear the history. Um, there's, a whole, there's a whole swath of American soil here in the Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, that you completely left out of this song, right? I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm a P&W native, and I'm kind of offended by that. So... In the spirit of folk music, I protest this song. Sorry, Guthrie. Um, Andre, you can take that song off the screen now. <clears throat> so, anyway, perhaps, here's my third observation. Perhaps yet, Guthrie is trying to say something more far-reaching. That um, in that song, as citizens of America, this land is our home. And it's land that we, in a sense, inherit through each generation from each generation. 
You know, you think about what home means to us in our national consciousness. At least half a dozen phrases, I think, that we've all heard or that we've seen hanging on the walls of homes have become pretty much common language, common phrases and vernacular that we hear all the time. In fact, I'll say some of these phrases and I'll let you help them, help me finish them, right? Home sweet, home. There's no place like home. Welcome, home, homecoming. Home is where the heart is and where you hang your hat, right? This is my home away from home. I'll be home for Christmas, right? Okay, so home is really big for us. It's huge. It's internal. It's core. It's deep. It's significant. We feel a deep and profound sense of belonging, connection, relationship, familiarity, comfort. We kick back, throw up our feet when we're at home. It's a unique dynamic that you can't find anywhere else. I mean, home is so built in to our existence. I would say regardless of what culture or nation you live in. It's so natural and it's so good to have this sense of home that if it's somehow lost or taken away from us, we feel like a major piece of us has been ripped from us. That we don't feel whole or complete unless we have a sense of home, right? I mean, you can all agree with me on that. I mean, this is just, this is just natural. I mean, this is every day. Even when we're not thinking about it, home is powerful for us, both emotionally, both relationally, spiritually, obviously physically, materially, literally. It's huge that if, if home was, if we, not, if we don't feel in a place, in a, in a sense of home in our life, we get anxious, we, we get depressed, sad, we might even get angry, scared, and we feel like we're not ourselves, right? And I think, that's, I think that, that's because God, the creator, built us and he created us to feel that, to have that, that yearning and that longing, to feel fulfilled, to feel whole, to feel complete if we're in a place of home. And that, that we would ha- continue to have this immense longing for home. And in fact, we would yearn for a more perfect home, a home that is fully functioning, that is, that is not in need of repair, right? Both literally <laughs> and emotionally and relationally, a home that's not broken, a home that, that, that we don't feel like we have to survive in, that we can actually thrive, that we could flourish, you know, that we just feel complete, that we feel at, at ease and with comfort and enjoyment and rest and support and care and belonging, all of these things, it's, it's all wrapped up into this deep uh, need for home. It's huge, my friends, that to have an abode where there is no fear or no strain, no discomfort, a place that we can enjoy without feeling exhausted, that we can fully belong and be known and accepted. The Bible has, actually has a lot to say about home and what it is and how it should look, and it uses the language of land and inheritance, primarily in the Old Testament with Israel, which we're going to look at, but also going into the New Testament 
with the church and what that means for us today. So we're going to look at that. And what I'd like us to see this morning is that in Jesus, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, we inherit a home, a perfect home, a restored home, and we look forward to that home that is both spiritual and physical. Okay, It's both inner, inward, and outward, external. So where we're going to go today is in keeping with this main truth of this inherited home that we have, um, <clears throat> is that we're going to look at where does our inherited home come from, and then what does that look like? So where does the inheritance, the home, come from, and then what does the inherited home look like? We're going to look at Joshua here briefly in a couple of texts, okay? So if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Joshua 19 with me. 19, Joshua 19, starting in verse 49. Joshua 19, 49. So I'm going to read a few verses from Joshua 19, then we're going to skip over to Joshua 21, and I'll explain why here in a second. So Joshua 19, verse 49. When they had finished distributing the several uh, territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of Yahweh the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath-Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim, and he rebuilt the city and settled in it. These are the inheritances that Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by Lot at Shiloh before Yahweh the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. Okay, now skip over to chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 43, towards the end of the chapter. Chapter 21, verse 43. This is, this is in some ways the, um, the conclusion of these dividing up of the lands and the boundaries and the inheritances. Thus, Yahweh the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And Yahweh the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for Yahweh the Lord had given all of their enemies into their hands, and not one word of all the good promises that Yahweh had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Okay, Now, just a couple of things right away that I think need to be explained sort of as disclaimer here. First of all, as we look at this, um, and if you've read any of these parts of Joshua here in these last few chapters, or at least the last half of Joshua, uh, there is a, it talks about there in, in chapter 19 of inheritances and distributing territories and divisions of land and such. There is a humongous gap of time and culture here that is existing between us in 21st century America and Israel in 8th century BC. So this is ancient here. There's a, there's a magnificent gap that we have to kind of overcome a little bit that I want to help you to understand. So when, when the Old Testament talks about land and inheritance, particularly for Israel, you have to understand that land to them, like physical dirt and soil, and acreage and all that is everything to those people at that time. It's, it, is their, it is the very core of their existence. It is built into their worldview. It is built into their way of life. I mean, it is just profoundly important and significant to them to be able to have a parcel of land to feel like this is our space, this is our land, 
I mean, it's, it's religion to them. It's super important, powerful, and symbolic all throughout the Old Testament of God and who he is and his promises and what he provided for them. We'll get into that in a second. So you have to understand that that, that land and this sense of it, this idea of inheritance is everything. I mean, it's like their identity. Whereas for us here in America, land and inheritance, but specifically land, is a commodity, right? I mean, land was given to Israel. We think of land as taken and claimed and purchased. Sometimes, yes, we'll have land that's handed down to us by our parents or our grandparents, right? Uh, we'll have some kind of property or maybe there's some real estate or something that's come with an inheritance. But even that, I don't, I don't sit around thinking and waiting, I can't wait to get my parents' land. I have some land already. But that, to me, it's just, again, it's a commodity. And it's not built into the fabric of my being and my identity or my religion. I just don't look at it the same way here in 21st century America. It's just not that important to me. My parents actually own a few rental properties uh, that they, <laughs> they constantly struggle through, you know, and that they have to manage and all of this. And I, I have no identity tied to those rental properties. So when they, if, when they pass away and those properties get handed down to me and my siblings, I'm like, you guys want to keep those? That's fine. Just buy me out. I do not want to manage rental properties. I'm sorry. I do not. I have no significance tied up in those. I have no time to manage those. I don't care about the few hundred bucks of revenue that's going to come from them. I mean, I just, that's not a thing for me. Even their very house, their very property down in Oregon City where they live, I have no idea. We've moved like five, six times. I, that, I have no identity there. It's not that deep in court. Whereas for Israel's everything. The kids, they couldn't wait to get the land, to inherit the land. That was, that was so deep for them, so profound. So you have to understand the differences here. I mean, the, you, like I said, the national symbol for Israel was land, which meant provision, right? It was integral to their whole way of life. It was at the forefront of their minds constantly Whereas for us, I think in our time and culture, land and inheritance often is incidental. It's bonus. It's just, it's an afterthought. Right? And yet, <laughs> and yet despite this gap of, of, of thinking and of worldview and culture and all the differences, we still share this same core longing that we all long for a home. And that's why it's so important here in Joshua and throughout the Old Testament of this land because it was a home for Israel and it was where they would thrive and flourish and where God would work his purposes through them as a people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay, so that's the first thing I just want you to help you understand. The second thing is very brief, but I think it'll help frame a little bit more of what we're going to get into is that the kingdom that God envisioned and began with Israel, for which this land and this inheritance is a part of, is the same kingdom that Jesus has begun with the church. It's the same kingdom that he has begun with us today, that he continues to work out his purposes. What I mean by that is when God redeems and brings his people out of Egypt in the Exodus, huge big-time narrative in the Bible, he says, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He identifies them. He gives them identity. He says, this is what you're going to be for me. You're going to be my servants, and you're going to be a light to the nations. You're going to be a holy nation so that the rest of the world will see who I am through who you are, 
and how you behave and how you live. Jesus comes on the scene later, and he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he continues this reality of the kingdom, and then in Acts 1, when his, after he's resurrected, when Jesus dies and he resurrects, and the, and the disciples say, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, yes and no. Uh, yes, it's going to happen, but not yet. You don't need to know. You don't know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, i.e. priests, and a holy nation throughout all the nations in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So I want you to understand that this is, this is the takeaway with this here, okay? You have to understand that with the kingdom, with what God's purposes were for Israel, with this land and inheritance, was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They could show the world who the one true creator God is and, all, and who he is and his character and what he does. And that continues on into the rest of the Bible in the New Testament through Jesus, the true Messiah, because Israel needed that true Messiah. It wasn't Moses, it wasn't the prophets, it wasn't even Joshua. Okay, they, So God continues his plan for the kingdom through Jesus, the Messiah, and that, what that means for the church today. So the, you see a great unity here. So the, a little bit of this is just Bible equipping. I want you to understand this. You have to see the unity. You have to see the continuation of the story from Old Testament to New Testament. It's really important because sometimes those things just get easily separated. And like I said, there's this huge gap of difference, and we just get lost in it sometimes. And we think, oh, that was just for Israel back then, but everything's different now for us as a church. That's false. Okay? There's so many similarities here and what God continues to do, what his de- desire is for the kingdom. This kingdom that we live in is not yet complete. One day there will be a true and perfect land that we inhabit. And I'll get into that in just a little bit. Right? Okay. So here's the first point. Here's the first point we're going to look at. Where does our inherited home come from? First, like, inher- in, it, like Israel, our inherited home comes from a faithful God. If you look there in, in uh, chapter 19... Talks about these, it talks about the distribution of several territories of the land. And if you go further back, starting in chapter 13, actually, it is just basically like six, cha- six chapters of ancient public records. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't spend my time sitting around reading public records. You can Google them if you want. Stalkers do that. Okay? Uh, but this is, this is ancient public records here. You can look up your own house, whatever, your property, Okay, but this is, this is what this is, and it's just, it's boring. <laughs> but there's a reason why this is in here, and it's not just historical public records of Israel. The reason that it gets so detailed and specific and meticulous, in fact, I even thought of trying to work through these six chapters and, like, you know, count on a calculator how many different names of regions and cities and territories there were, and I'm like, no, I don't have time for that. Thought about Googling it. No, I'm not going to cheat. So I just... I just was like, no, we'll just let it be what it is. It's just long, and it's lengthy, and it's boring. But the reason, whenever you see specific details of names, and it gets really long and lengthy and boring, the reason why that's in there is because the author is trying to show you something about God and his purposes, how faithful God is. In fact, he's meticulously faithful in everything that he lists out there because we see the summary of that in chapter 21. Not one word of all the good promises that Yahweh the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. Everything came to pass. Everybody got their land. Everybody got their inheritance. Everybody got their distribution. 
It all came to pass, despite the enemies, despite the conquest, despite the suffering, despite all of the struggle and the conflict and the opposition. It all came to pass. God was faithful to his promise. So when you read through that, even when you read through the valley of the shadow of, of, of Leviticus, right? If you're reading through that, all those laws, there's a reason why all those are there. It's not just history, although that's, it, that's important. It's true. It's to show something theologically about who God is and who we are. Okay, again, this is the seminary in me, so I nerd out on this stuff, okay, you guys? But I want you to be equipped in it so that you don't just gloss through so many portions of the Old Testament, like, oh, this is so boring. Oh, man, I don't have time for this. Right? It's all important. Okay? And it shows us the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Israel constantly had to be reminded of Yahweh's faithfulness to them. That's why they would retell the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs and the Exodus and the manna and the water from the rock and, the, and the, the, the victory over their enemies and the wilderness. God keeps every one of his promises, including their, their inheritance and land, down to the very last city. So when they looked back and they say that, yep, Yahweh has been faithful in the past. We have hope and confidence for the future that he'll be faithful in the future, right? Maybe you have a life situation that is similar and you're wondering and you're questioning God's faithfulness. Because you feel this strong need for home and a sense of place. And maybe there's some of us that we have a literal, physical home, and yet, that we feel good about, and yet we still, we still don't feel inwardly at home. Right? I mean, you could have a great, functioning, physical environment, in a home with, that, that is not broken, everything's, everything's working great, it's looking great, and you still, you still feel lost, right? And you still have a yearning inside you, and there's still a brokenness or a dysfunctionality, there's still a disconnect. I mean, in fact, you could come and be a part of a church community and call that church home and yet still feel disconnected at times. Do you ever feel that, friends? I feel it sometimes. Okay, we've all felt that. Even with a, a rich community as this, and yet we can still feel disconnected. We can still feel like there's something missing. And there's real anxiety there. I mean, there's strain. We could, or even, even a physical, literal home. Some of you might actually need a physical place to live and call home. Israel felt this after the Exodus. They hung around at Mount Sinai for two years, and then even after that, they had to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, that was, part, that was in many ways punishment because of their, their unbelief and their idolatry and their rebellion. But they needed, they needed a home. It's burdensome. It's heavy when we don't have a place that we can feel at home, that we can feel comfortable, that we can feel like we can finally settle. We can finally rest, Right? I think, there's, I think there's many of us that, that feel this or that are experiencing this. And it's easy for us to like, I mean, it's natural in a sense. But like, God, are you aware of my need? Like, when are you going to provide? I'm trying to trust in your faithfulness. I'm trying to trust that your presence is with me. And it's hard and it's difficult. Do you know what's going on? Friends, he was faithful in the past. 
He will be faithful. Trust. <laughs> that's, my, that's all I can say. And trust. Trust him. Cry out to him. Seek him. Continue to seek him. Do not give up. He is good. He is faithful. By the way, if you are in physical need especially, I just encourage you to please make your need known. Please make it known. Do it in person. Then also do it on social media if you need to, to get the word out. I know we have a family in our community right now that is, is in transition. And uh, they moved here. Um, they've been in transition for the last month or so. They're still looking for a place to live that's the best fit for them. Um, if you have some ideas, they're looking for a, 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 a home or an apartment to rent here in Tacoma. So if you know of anything uh, that could help them, if you have any leads, please come talk to me and I'll, I'll get you connected to them. But um, this is so, you guys, this is so huge. So our, our inherited home comes from a God who is faithful. And I just, I can't encourage you enough. Continue on in your belief. Help and ask God, God, help me with my unbelief. I'm struggling. This is difficult. I know it comes from you. I know you're a provider. I know that my home, my inheritance will come from you in the future, and I'm looking for it right now. Second, and I'm not going to belabor this point too long, um, but it's just very brief. Our, our, our inherited home comes from the family line of Abraham. In the Bible story, in Christ, the family lineage of Abraham and Israel is through faith. It's not just through bloodline and ethnicity. Paul was at pains, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, to make sure that it's clear that Christians, both Jews and Gentile Christians, come from the line of Abraham because that was all, always God's design from the beginning. Abraham believed. It was credited to him as righteousness. Those who believe fall in his family line. It's not just by Jewish blood origin. He says in Romans 4, this is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. That's Abraham. All of his offspring, not only to those who follow the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Those, so those who believe are in the family line of Abraham. We share the same lineage as Israel, those who believe, the Israeli, the Jewish believers. Now, why, this, why is this important? I want you to continue to see how the story fits together. One, second, because if you believe the gospel of Jesus, then you're part of a greater family. We're going to get into that in just a second. And if you have a family, then you have a home. If you're part, if you believe the gospel, whether you're just checking out Soma for the first time or you've been here for a little while, you've been here for a long time, you're part of this local expression, this local family and the greater family of God throughout the earth that all goes back to Abraham. The Bible's really clear on that, okay? So <clears throat> that's where our inheritance comes from, this inherited home. So what does our inherited home look like? First, our inherited home is in the form of spiritual blessings through Jesus. Ephesians 1, I want to read this because it's really good. Ephesians 1, Paul, uh, the writer, he says this, and he's going to talk about spiritual blessings here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In him, in love, we, he predestined us for adoption as sons 
By the way, when he said spiritual blessings there, he's thinking Abraham. He's thinking the blessings, how God blessed Abraham and that Abraham would be a blessing to the nations. So verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to his purpose and will of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. Again, these are all blessings. These are all, this is all a sense of home here is what we're going to get across. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. I mean, this is, this is global. This, is, this has a, a cosmic magnitude. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Christ, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you see what Paul's doing there? I mean, he's, when he talks about these spiritual blessings, this inheritance in Jesus, he's going all the way back to Abraham. He's going all the way back to ancient Israel and what God had always designed and what that now means for us as God's people. So our inherited home, this sense of home, is in the form, first of all, of spiritual blessings through Jesus. It's inward. Paul says he chose us to be holy and blameless. We have adoption as sons and family. We have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What I want to focus on real briefly here as part of this is new identity that we have as sons and daughters. New identity. When you look at identity in the Bible, it begins with first that we're made in the image of God that we're creating his image, because of our sin, unfortunately, and our disobedience and our unbelief, that image has been marred and scarred. It's been cursed and corrupted. So much so that it's almost like we take on this identity of death and darkness. We still retain the image of God, but sin is so, such a parasite and works like such a cancer to bring decay and death that it's almost like we take on this other alternate uh, identity of darkness and death, and it leads to death, obviously. But God the Creator loves us so much that he sends his perfect image, Jesus, to die and be resurrected. So when we believe, we, when we believe the gospel and the good news, Jesus reverses the curse and the corruption of our sin, and he makes us into a new creation. And he adopts us into his family. Friends, I want, I, I, I want to help you to see this in even a physical and material way, and we'll get into this, but I mean, if you believe the gospel, though you were, have sinned and were headed towards death and an eternal destination away from the one true God, when you believe the gospel, all of that gets reversed, and you are brought back into God's fold. You're brought back into his family and his reality. Death, even though your physical body will die, death is no longer an eternal reality for you. Okay? Even though your body is decaying and dying because of your original sin, it is no longer an eternal reality. 
So you have to try and think through the future aspects of that in order for it to make sense because sometimes this stuff just gets lost in a bunch of spiritual language and metaphor and analogy and it sounds really good and cute on Sundays but in everyday life it it seems to have no bearing. Sometimes it doesn't for me. Often it feels like it doesn't for me and I have to think through the future. I'm going to be in God's reality in the future. I'm going to enjoy him in the future because of what he's done for me through Jesus and my faith in that and what that means right now. Your identity, the new identity that he's given you, is so, is so huge, this, and, it, and it has to do with a sense of home inwardly. Here's what I mean by that. This is one of the, take, this is one of the takeaways I want you to get from this, this text here. We all need and long for a spiritual center, an inner home, so that we can find peace and joy. There are, there are so many films out there, indie films especially, about to have this theme of coming of age and discovery and journey. And everything about those films is usually about one protagonist or character that just feels lost, that feels like they're not themselves, they don't know what their identity is, and they come to a place where they truly find themselves, right? I mean, that's like every coming of age film. Or they get to be part of a community and a family too, which is really important. So we see it in pop culture, this journey to find yourself and your true self. Or you have, you look at all the spiritual self-help books out there, and the, the, the idea of having a spiritual core and a center within you is like the premise of like every spiritual self-help book. And the gospel is saying, it's not about finding your true self, because unfortunately your true self right now is broken, and it's messed up. And it will continue to be that unless you find the true person, the true perfect human being who is Jesus, the true image. And you find yourself in him. And when you believe that, he begins to change you. He begins to change you into the true self that he always designed for you. You see that? And that's when you find your sense of home is him. It's not in you. It's not trying to like circle back in on yourself and your life and try to rearrange and find that sense of balance or whatever it is. Because it's broken. You cannot. It's just, it is innately dysfunctional. And you need Jesus to, re- to change you, to fundamentally resurrect you from the inside out. And that's when you'll find your home. In fact, John, somewhere in John, I'm sorry, I don't have the verse, but Jesus says, like, we will come to you and we will make our home with you. And by we, he means Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity. We will come into you when you believe and we will make our home with you and that's when you will be at home. Your inherited home is in the form of these spiritual blessings, and that comes with this new identity. Secondly, I want you to see this, and it's just so important, family, so I'm, I'm kind of laboring over this a little bit. Your identity is where you find your deepest security, worth, and value. There is a host of issues we could talk about when it comes to identity, when it comes to security, worth, and value, especially what we're dealing with in our culture, but I just want to hit on one. And that is how we look at vocation and what we do in life to make a salary and an income, right? In America, it's everything. It's everything. Land and inheritance was everything for Israel. Job, vocation, career is everything for us. It's our identity. And sometimes you notice in how, we, how that comes across in our conversation when we meet someone. And what's the first question we ask or they ask? Hey, what do you do? Right? 
So they're asking you a question about your job, but then we respond with identity. I am a fill-in-the-blank, right? We, we've, we've reversed how the Bible looks at identity, which is image of God first, and then God gives us work to do and gifts and talents and specific ways that he made us out of that. We've reversed that, and we've taken, we've put a career and a job and a vocation and a skill as everything for us and our identity and core of what it means to be us. That's American culture. Maybe there's some of us here that today that are struggling with who we are and who God made us to be and what we, feel, what we believe or feel like we're good at in life. I, um, when I first moved here, I did some church planting for a while, and uh, we've, lived here for, we've lived here for about 12 years, and the first five years I did church planting, and I was at age 30. Um, that was like right when Jesus began his ministry, by the way. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and so I, we first moved, I was just out of seminary, had my shiny new Master of Arts degree, theology, and we raised some funding for the church planning that we were doing, but we didn't raise enough that we needed, so what did I do? Well, I was like, oh, okay, I heard that, uh, you know, Starbucks is hiring, <laughs> always, and um, you can, you know, pour coffee there for 20 hours a week, get full benefits and free lattes, and, um, you know, make a little bit of income. Well, I decided to do that, you know, it was going to be evangelistic for me. I was going to pursue discipleship there and uh, hopefully be a witness and, and all of this. But, man, I, after a couple of months, I mean, it was hitting me at my core. Here I am at age 30. I've got a bachelor's degree. I've got a master's degree. Again, this is all American identity stuff, okay? And, and here I am pouring coffee for coffee addicts at 6 a.m. in the morning for minimum wage, working alongside kids that could have been in my youth group, right? And I'm age 30, and I've got this master's degree, and look at me, and I should be elite, right? And I, I remember one, a couple mornings, I'm showing up to my shift at, for 6 a.m., and I'm in my car at like 5.45 a.m., and I'm, and I'm just like hating life, and it's dark outside, and it's still, you know, everybody else is asleep in my life, and I have to go and, and work this job, and, you know, for 10 bucks an hour or whatever, and, and, and it's hard, and and, you know, we're one of the highest grossing stores in the, in the region and, and all of this. And I'm, and I'm like, Derek, preach the gospel to yourself right now. Okay, so, and this was like Fight Club style. I'm like, you are not your job. You are not your paycheck. You are not that green apron. Uh, you, <laughs> you, you are not that perfectly made foamy cappuccino. I mean, I was just going down the list. Who are you? Who are you in Christ? I'm a son Adopted in God's family. This is not me. This job is not my identity, right? I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I'm just going down the list in Ephesians 1 there. It was huge. I needed it. I like so many mornings I needed that, right? Not because a job at Starbucks is worthless, but because how, what I believed about my American identity versus my gospel identity, okay? So this is not to downplay Whatever job you're in, whether it's retail, entry-level customer service, or it's lawyer, doctor, whatever, that's just that's job, that's just work. It's just a paycheck. It helps society in different ways. Yes, it's good. But your gospel identity is what Jesus has done with you, what he's made of you, 
what he's done for you through his death and resurrection, the spiritual blessings that you get to enjoy now, and the new identity he's made you, what he always designed you to be, and what you will be in the future. That's the point. Right there. It was so good, friends and family. I encourage you, if you have this struggle right now, or if you're working through some, you know, some of this inner angst of like, why am I in this place in life, and I felt like I should be here, but I'm still here, and like, I just, I don't have a sense of home, and I don't have my centering, and I feel out of whack, and I feel imbalanced, and I don't feel like I, sh- I should be in this position, but I'm not, and I should have gone to school here, and I should have done this, and I don't have this paycheck, and I'm struggling every month. Preach the gospel to yourself, okay? In Christ, you have a new identity. You're recreated. Please, please do that. It's the only thing that will keep you going. Otherwise, you will continue to put that pressure and that strain on yourself and wish you were somebody different. And it'll never work. And you'll never have lasting joy and peace. This is so real, my friends. It is so real. We find our inherited home, spiritual home, in Jesus. Second, and lastly, our inherited home is in the form of a future, material, physical, perfectly restored land. Our inherited home is in the the form of a future, material, physical, perfectly restored land. very important to the Jewish worldview and to the Old Testament is an anticipation and a hope that Israel would continue, would experience complete restoration in their own land. That the land, this promised land, would be perfect and good. The reason why it, it isn't as you go throughout the Old Testament is because of their sin and their unbelief and rebellion. In fact, that's the reason why God has to exile them out of the land because he's like, this is my land that I gave to you and you, you're not, you don't know how to treat it. You don't know how to treat each other and you are not being true worshipers of me like I designed you to be. So he sends them out. I mean, he kicks them out of his land. They, and in, in that exile, they longed for the day when God would return them. He would gather them as a shepherd and he would bring them back into the land so they could be what he always designed them to be what he always intended. And as they, as they believed in that and hoped for that, it was a, it was a full um, and eternal restoration. In fact, part of their worldview and their theology was that God will, even though we die physically, one day he will resurrect our bodies. That theology carries on into the New Testament but gets reshaped and reoriented through Jesus. That's why the apostles, that's why the disciples are at pains to show that like this, this resurrection of Jesus is everything that you guys have been hoping for. Why don't you believe it? Why are you against this? This is what you've been hoping for. The Messiah is the foretaste of that. I mean, he's the first fruit. He's the primogenitor. So when you see that Jesus has been resurrected, that means you're looking forward to resurrection. So that was very common and core to the Jews. And so, as they, and, and so that theology continued on into Christianity and the gospel. Same with the Jews same with the Jews. And when I say Jews, you guys, I'm, the Orthodox Jews don't believe that Jesus is the true Messiah. Christians do. So similar to them, and yet because of Jesus, we look forward to and we long for a day when uh, we will be in a restored land. And the Bible uses the language of a new earth, a new cosmos, 
okay, a new heavens, a new universe, and a new earth. And resurrection of the body is a huge part of that. I was, um, I was at the memorial service for Aaron Richmond recently. Aaron is um, uh, part of a, a key family in our community that's been a part of us for a long time. And she had been, uh, you know, she'd have um, struggles and a heart condition for a long time. And, uh, and unfortunately, she's, she succumbed to it. And so she is with Jesus now in heaven. And we were at the memorial service and um, grieving, continue to grieve and yet hope. And as um, Abe was there giving the sermon, he was talking about how and, um, Aaron is being restored and will be restored, that she's with Jesus now, despite all the suffering that she had been through and her death. And I couldn't stop thinking about resurrection. I couldn't stop thinking that, God, one day you're going to take Aaron's broken body and you are going to resurrect her to new, perfectly restored life. And he's going to do that for all of our bodies. We will all be resurrected one day. Now, here's the thing, okay? So, resurrection of the body and a restoration of the earth and land, in a sense, an earthly resurrection, is the home that we look forward to, that we anticipate. I know we often talk about heaven is our home, and it is very true and real that when you die now, your soul goes to heaven in this spiritual eternal state, this spiritual eternal environment with Jesus. And that's amazing. But that's not the eternal home. That's temporary until Jesus returns to restore all things and to make the earth new again. Okay, you have to understand that. Oftentimes when we talk, when we talk about heaven in the gospel, it's very heaven-centric. And that's just a disembodied spiritual state. We will have a full-bodied existence, eternal existence in the new heaven, new earth. Why do I say that? The, uh, Isaiah was clear about that in his writings in chapter 65, 66 of Isaiah and other parts in the prophets. And then, then Revelation says this in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven, new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God is going to create a whole new home for us, his people. My friends, this is, this is, this is hope. This is what we hope in. What he designed for Israel in the past, he's going to continue to do. He's starting it with his kingdom now, the work that he's doing in us and our new identity as believers, and he will finish it when we have a perfectly restored existence in a new earth. Okay, believe it. It's so huge. As amazing and as beautiful as this earth is, it's still ravaged by our sin. Okay, it's still a broken place. It doesn't function the way it's supposed to, even in all its beauty, because that's God's grace and his goodness. Yet, in the midst of a creation that groans like the pains of childbirth until the redemption of our bodies, as Paul says, and redemption as sons. Okay, so we hope in that and we look forward to that. I want to encourage you with that this morning. I want to encourage you that you find your home with Jesus, both internally, spiritually, externally, physically, that you hope in that, that you believe in that, if you're struggling with it this morning. When Jesus was, um, we're going we're to go into a time of communion here. 
um, when Jesus instituted the Lord, his supper. And he looked at the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. <clears throat> and he looked at the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. He, he said, I tell you this, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine or I will not drink again of this cup until the kingdom comes, until I come and bring restoration, until I come and fully establish your home and our home. And so when we look at the bread and the cup and we go into communion here in a time of response, I'd like to invite Brittany and the team up, um, we see the, the bread and the cup in communion as, a, as, as symbols of redemption, of future restoration, of a feast that we're going to enjoy with Jesus, our King. If you believe this, if you believe the gospel, I want you to enjoy this feast. I want you to look with hope and anticipation for our future future restoration and renewal. Um, if there are those here who do not yet believe this, just ask that you observe and um, ask that you consider. Consider what's been talked about this morning. Consider the gospel. Okay? I want to ask, too, that if there's, if there's anything here that I've talked about today that you're still questioning, you still don't understand, come talk to me. I'd love to talk more about it. Okay? still have questions. So let's talk some more. I know there's a lot here. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go into a time of response. Father, thank you so much for this story and this word about home, about land, about inheritance that we look forward to. Thank you so much that Jesus, the Son, has come as the true image, the, uh, the true identity of you that you had always intended for us as, as, as human beings. That even despite our sin, our rebellion, our unbelief, and our brokenness. Jesus has brought salvation, redemption, forgiveness, adoption as sons and daughters. We have a new identity. Spirit, please help us to see that. Please do your work in our hearts. Bring that truth and sink it deep in our hearts. That we might more fully believe it, that it might become more part of our lives, that we might have a deeper hope and a deeper faith in the home that you give us, the home that you bring for us, the home that you make for us, the home that we will one day get to enjoy. So I pray we ask for that. Thank you so much for your love and your acceptance of us and that we belong to you. We're going to continue to worship now in Jesus' name.